wow, what a morning. I think this is great. And, um, and I'm really being encouraged to see so many people up on stage. There's actually sometimes more people on stage than, than out in the pews, especially now. Um, I've had a lot of texts this week of, sadly, people who are, are sick and, um, you know, just battling with colds and flus and stuff like that. And, and I can understand why. It is freezing here. People warned me about the cold and um, I am just starting to um, get a glimpse of it. Um, I'd like to start off by yeah, thanking some people have made comment on my uh, sermon series um, on the church, and some people have been enjoying it, and um, it's been really good. Um, and I thank them for that. Today I'm continuing the series, and I will finish it next week, because then when we get to June, we're having a missions focus, and we're having different people come in and speak I talked last week on now how different generations grab words as they become part of our modern-day lingo. Well, for me, one word fits into this, the word equality. Do you know, everyone, this is an in word at the moment. It is taught everywhere. Everyone wants equality, and they say that we should practise equality. But do you know what I find? People are all for equality until it, they, it disagrees with their view of equality. Do you not have people say to me that a certain group shouldn't say or do something or believe something? They say that that group should practice equality. All people should be equal, to which I reply, hang on a second. Do you know by saying those very words, you are taking away the rights of that group? That's not equality. When people talk about equality, what they really want is conformity. Believe what I believe and live what I live. And if you don't, then you're wrong. Well, you know, sadly, sometimes the church is no different. There is a lot of intolerance, sadly, in our churches today. It seems that some people want others to agree on everything. And then when others don't agree on a belief, on a theology or something like that, they withdraw their fellowship and friendship and leave a church. I remember a lecturer once said to us in college that he went to a church once and he saw one of the most united churches he's ever seen. He said, in this church, there was one small group united over here. Then over in that corner, there was another small group united. And then in the middle, there was another united group. Of course, what he was talking about was division, not unity. So many times churches split because of lack of unity. I remember reading of one such church where a group of people broke away from a church because of a certain issue and they developed a new church. And do you know what they gave this, their new church the title of? The Unified Church, a church of unity. But the truth is we don't need to call ourselves a church of unity. We need to show it in that we are the body of Christ. And this is what today's passage is all about. In Acts, we get to this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And from this, the theme of my message today is a genuine church is committed. What goes through your mind when you read that statement? All the believers were together and have everything in common. Can you imagine it? Do you think it's possible for a church to be together and have everything in common? I know for me, when I read, it's hard for me to imagine a community where all believers are together, believing the same thing, sharing everything in common. Do you know, I've had the privilege of living in communities. 
I was saved at the Broken Hill Church of Christ and they actually um, sold homes and they actually came and lived together in the convent and so families would live together in that community. When I went to Ruway, all staff lived at the campsite. MMM, I lived at a home base in Whittlesea with 14 other families. Tagulawa was a small country town, a community. All of these communities came together and Ruway and MMM were only Christians. But I can assure you, we didn't have everything in common. We didn't share everything in common. I remember when I went for my job at Wirraway, my boss said, once I got the job, he said, you know the hardest thing about being here? It's not the camps. It's not the kids. It's living together. That's what you'll struggle with the most. I think after experiencing these communities that I've experienced for so many years, do you know this has been one of the biggest struggles for me in moving here? It seems our entire society is built on a giant rule book of separation. That's what I think cities and suburbs are all about. Separation community is so in your face. I don't know whether you see it, but I have coming here. We live in separate homes. Even though our eaves may touch each other because they cram homes in so close, do we know our neighbours? I've tried to talk to my neighbours and I've had doors closed on me. People just want to come in and live in their separate homes and stay there. We drive separate cars. We go to separate buildings for work. And when we get there, there are all these walled-off office spaces. Our homes are guarded by compartments that we call rooms. So it seems each and every life really is a series of man-made barriers which we should never cross. I can remember when I used to drive school buses in Brisbane you would have a bus and, you know, people would get on and they would fill up each individual two-seat. There was a time um, back when I was a butcher and my car broke down and I had to catch a bus and I was the second person on the bus. And you know what I did? I walked in and sat next to the person already on the bus. Freaked them out. Freaked them out. I remember them said, what are you doing that for? You're breaking the rules. It seems that, you know, we, we have this rule of complete separation. Yet when you read the words of Acts, it seems these Christians were exactly the opposite to that. This leads us to a very interesting question. What is this everything in common referring to? Was it that everything just agreed with each other and got along? Or is it that everyone believed in the same doctrine, the same teaching? Well, if that's what it means, then we're doomed. I mean, even in this church, we have many different beliefs and understandings of doctrines, yet we can still come together. Well, you'll be happy to know that most scholars don't believe this is what it means. They teach the early church definitely had differences just like we do today. After all, remember, they came from different backgrounds and most of them were Jews who came to know Christ. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Jewish Jesus and the main focus of this book is how our Western Christians have lost touch with the Jewish Jesus, his followers and Israel itself. Anyway, when this author speaks of this passage, he finds it staggering because he says, these early convicts were Jews. How could they every, have everything in common? He was a Jewish guy and he made the comment. He says, you get two Jews together, you have an argument. He says, get three of them together and you have a war. What most scholars teach, try that again, Garth. What most scholars teach is this statement having everything in common is referring to something more than feelings, friendship, and beliefs. 
This being together and having everything in common is more of a statement of purpose and commitment. This being together and had everything in common is a statement that reveals they were committed to both those on the inside of the congregation and those on the outside of the congregation. It's a statement of purpose in which they not only committed themselves to the new body of believers, they also committed their possessions and what they owned. And it was this commitment of possessions that they had in common. This is made more clearly in verse 45. They sold properties and possessions to give anyone in need. You see, a distinctive feature in these early believers was how they sold their homes and they came and they lived together. And then they not only did that, they also sold their possessions and the proceeds were put into a common joint community fund that could be used to help the needy. So when it's talking about having everything in common, it's not referring to feelings, friendships and belief. It's referring to how these believers had some kind of common joint ownership of their possessions and that they could use it to help the needy. Each person held his goods in common disposal with one another. So when the need arose, those funds could be used and it could be helped. Now, you may say, that sounds a bit bizarre. Well, it wasn't so bizarre in these days. While this lifestyle wasn't a common practice, there is a record of at least one other Jewish group, the Karams, who lived this lifestyle. Other Jewish groups did the same thing, but it's no recorded of it like the Karams. But from what Luke writes, it seems these Jewish believers adopted this practice, this same way of life. Now, I know some have criticised it and some describe it as communism, but this is very misleading. Communism is a description of a political or economic system that is forced on people. We must always remember these new converts, the selling of their homes and their possessions was a 100% voluntary matter. It is something they did. Now, with that understanding of the passage under our belt, we get a glimpse of how this being together and had everything in common is a real statement of an act of commitment, a commitment of accepting responsibility to fulfil the purposes of God by investing their time, family and money to this congregation that God chose to place them in. And as I said, this was a commitment to those both on the inside of the congregation and to those on the outside of the congregation. So let's quickly comment on the inside. Do you know, as I read the words in Acts chapter 2, I get a sense that their caring and being together wasn't something that just happened. It was something they worked on. It was something that they were committed to. For sure, for some of them, for some of the Jews who became Christians, they had to come and live together because they were excommunicated. They were kicked out. But still, it was something they did regardless of the cost. It was something they did regardless of the return. And as I said, the selling of homes and possessions was a voluntary matter. It's something they chose to do. These early believers saw themselves as one body of believers in Jesus Christ. It wasn't every man for himself. It was rather one for all and all for one. They had not joined an organisation. They had not joined a set of doctrines. They have joined together as a living group of believers where Jesus Christ was the head. They had great unity. Careful study of the Jerusalem church indicates that there was a strong sense of belonging here. 
these Christians in the early church recognised the importance of them belonging with each other. They not only recognised it, they practised it. They cared for each other. This first church went out of their way to be supportive of one another, to experience life together and to rely on one another. The more we study the New Testament churches, the more we see the wonderful relationships they had with each other. They respected one another. They helped one another. They forgave one another. They were devoted to each other. So much so, they sold up and lived together and pulled their money and possessions together. That's what was happening on the inside of the congregation. What about today? Does this happen? While it's true, we do in some ways still practice the money thing, we do have a common bank account that we all put into that we can help us grow God's kingdom. And while I don't think that we need to all sell our homes and come and live together, but do you think people today in our churches have a strong desire to commit to belonging to a church like they did back then? I don't think you guys have done it, but there's a thing called the National Church Life Survey. And it's a, it's a church life survey done um, the same time as our census in Australia. Do you know, the last National Church Life Survey states that a regular church goer, a regular church member, now attends church once a month. If you attend church once a month, you are a regular church goer. That is how much in Australia, for these churches that take part in the National Church Life Survey, the most regular church attenders attend church once a month. Modern Christians seem to believe that the Christian faith is all about believing in Jesus Christ, but not belonging. However, I want to say to you, believing leads to belonging. Being a believer is equal to that of being a member or belonging to a local congregation. To be a Christian without belonging to a congregation is like being a footy player without a team. Perhaps you enjoy playing the game, but you'll never be able to compete. Being a Christian without belonging to a congregation is like being a tuba player without a band. Though you play it very well, it is only as the tuba lends its harmonious bass and synchronicity that the entire band is blessed. Do you know Charles Spurgeon quoted regarding membership and joining a local congregation? And he writes this, I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, so I don't intend to give myself to any church. I reply, now why not? And they answer, because I can just, sorry, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. And I say, are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to the Lord's commandments as by being obedient. He would then show them a brick. And he'd ask them, what is a brick made for? And they would say, it's made to build a house. And he said, it's right. It is no use for the brick to tell you that it just wants to remain a brick while it's kicking around the ground by itself, as it would be part of a house. A brick on its own is good for nothing. And so he finishes with this. This is quite strong. So you Rolling Stones Christian, I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury that you do to yourself. Spurgeon pointed out that the individual who refused to unite themselves with a congregation was disobedient. 
He didn't beat around the bush. And therefore, the individual fails to fulfil the purpose in which they were saved for. Let me give you another one. The American biblical scholar, Robert Saucy, challenges believers to think carefully concerning the modern contention that one can be a Christian without being a member or belonging to a congregation. He writes this. The followers of Jesus cannot profess alliance to him and deny his church. What is needed is a renewed effort to seek God's way in which one may be part of the building process. Choosing not to join a church, choosing not to belong to a congregation is deliberately ignoring the very thing Christ loved and which he purchased and died for with his own blood. To refuse to unite with the church while professing the love of the Saviour is logically inconceivable. It demonstrates disregard for Christ's choice of his holy bride. They're powerful statements, but they're true. Clearly, these two staunches of the faith held high view of belonging to a local congregation. They wanted that sense of belonging not only for themselves, but for others. Sadly, for some Christians today, belonging to a church is often associated with a chore. Belonging to a church means performing meaningless rituals and abiding in some silly rules while others simply belong to a church so they can have the power of having their name on a roll so they can vote. But as we just saw, the New Testament church presented quite a different picture of belonging in a local congregation. It was a commitment of their time, it was a commitment of their family, and it was a commitment of their money. And so just as much as we evaluate our relationship and evaluate our relationship with God, I want to say this, we need to evaluate and evaluate our relationship with each other. We need to be a caring church on the inside. We need to be able to give everyone a sense of belonging. We need to be devoted to one another. How do you think we do with that? Has COVID helped or has COVID killed that? Well, let me tell you, it's time for us to come back together and start to care for one another in deep and meaningful ways. Why? Why on earth would we do that? Well, for me, it's all tied up in what I consider to be one of the most meaningful pictures of the local congregation you ever get in scripture. The picture of a family. Now, I know I've touched on family here before, so let me only share one thing with you. It's a verse from Ephesians 2. It's a verse we probably all know but I love the way the message puts it, and it is this. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Do you know what these verses tell me? We must see that we're not only one with Christ, we are also one with each other. Having a strong, 
belonging in a local congregation gives us a place to discover and use our gifts and ministries. The Bible tells us our gifts are given for the purpose of building one another up in faith in Jesus Christ. It is God's intent that each of us discover our gift and then through interaction with one another, use them so we make each other stronger in our faith. If we're not investing our spiritual gifts in the lives of our fellow family church members, we're squandering the gifts. We are not using them for what they were meant for. Having a strong belonging to a local congregation gives us a place to be accountable with each other. We all need to grow. Members are accountable to the leaders of this church and just as much as the leaders are accountable to the congregation themselves. We all together are accountable to one another that as we work together to seek and honour God through the building of one another up in the faith of Jesus Christ. The commitment these early Christians showed to each other was a deliberate, voluntary choice and action. And you know the best place for us to make the same commitment? If you are going to want to make a commitment to this place, the best place for us to deliberately choose to commit to one another is at those doors. It is the doors that you walk into. Just before walking through the doors, we should lay down all things we think make us who we are so that we may receive the one thing that we need. That is teaching, encouragement and building up from God the Father, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we also receive teaching, encouragement and building up from each other. When God saves people, he puts them into a community of believers called the church. He wants us to learn to love one another. He wants us to find ways to pull together in the same direction. Even this morning at our prayer meeting, Joe made the comment, thank you, Lord, for bringing us together as a family. If that is true, then a commitment is needed because each family member has a role. Each family member has something to do. When we walk through those doors, we walk into the very place where the gift of our new life with Christ and our new life with each other is most clearly seen. That's the best thing about walking through those doors. It is here in the local church that we can gather together and share common life together of our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. That's why I said to these young people, always remember, can it be boring? Yeah, but it's important. And I say the same to us. Coming together sometimes can be hard. Getting out of a nice warm bed when it's minus 17 degrees in Melbourne, it can be hard. But let me tell you, it's important. For sure, a common life together does not single the end of distractions or our uniqueness. A common life doesn't mean that we're all going to magically be all on the same and believe the same things. But surely once we walk through those doors... It should be our desire to rid ourselves of any rivalries or arrogances that we may have towards one another. James says in his letter that quarrels and conflicts come because of our sinful nature. It is our sinful desires within us. He says the source of most conflicts and fights is really a problem of selfishness. It's a problem of what I like. It's a problem of this is my opinion. Well, let me tell you, selfishness never brings people together. It only tears them apart. 
Once we walk through those doors, we should commit ourselves to bringing that shared common life together because the local church is nothing if it isn't a place that is somehow committed to a common life together. This common life together only comes when we receive the reality of who we are in Christ and who we are in his church. When we walk through those doors together and celebrate life together, we find that we'll be a powerful force and that affects those on the outside. A God-honouring church moves beyond their walls and impacts the community. Not only are the doors powerful for you making commitment when you walk in, they're powerful in you making a commitment when you walk out. How do you keep the body together when you walk out? How do you bless those in the community when you walk out? This early church not only had a strong sense of belonging to those inside the church, they had a strong sense of caring for those on the outside of church. And they didn't just do it with words. They didn't just say, bless you, come and know Jesus. They did it with actions. They ministered to people's needs. The early church had a sacrificial spirit. When they saw someone who had a need, they cared through giving. They could only do this because they made the cost themselves. Remember, they sold their homes. They sold their possessions. They came together, pulled them together so they could be used. Their focus was beyond just the walls of their own temples or homes. Their focus was beyond their own comfortableness of just being around each other. Do you know what I get from their lifestyle? Evangelism or having an outward focus is about giving. Our time, our possessions should be given to benefit the kingdom of God. Do you know, I don't know why, but some people get worried or don't like when churches talk about money or preach about money. It might surprise us to find that the Bible has actually a great deal to say about money and possessions. There are over a thousand references to money in the Bible. Almost two-thirds of the parable that Jesus spoke about had to do with money. We have that saying, money talks. I know my grandpa used to say to me, yes, Garth, money talks, and it usually says goodbye. But when we think about it, in some ways, money does talk. It says something about the people who have it or who seek to have it. It's like the story of that old Sunday school teacher talking to her class of 10-year-old boys about money and about giving. And she asked the class, would you give the church a million dollars to help? And they all screamed, yes. And she said, would you give the church $1,000 to help? And they all shouted, yes. How about $100? Would you give the church $100? And they all agreed and shouted, yes. And then she said, what about a dollar? Would you give the church a dollar to help? And everyone except Johnny again shouted yes. She noticed that Johnny didn't yell out. And the teacher said, Johnny, why didn't you say yes this time? And Johnny put his hand in his pocket and said, well, miss, I have a dollar and I want to keep it. But I don't have $100 or $1,000. Our attitude towards money and the way we use our money says a great deal about us. Well, let me tell you, it also says a great deal about us as a church, the way our church uses its money. Why did the first century believers take time to give? They gave of their possessions not to look good. They gave 
God's mission could be completed. They gave to point people to Christ. We can do the same. Is it hard? Yes. But remember, God never asks us to do something he hasn't already done himself. We serve a God who has provided for us in our time of need and he's promised to continue. So we can help others and we can give them with confidence knowing that God will take care of us. That provides the motivation of giving. Giving must come from a willingness to give of ourselves. Giving of ourselves does demonstrate itself in the area of time and possessions. When we give what we owe, people see what we have. But when we give of ourselves, people see who we are. It's the same as a church. What is our role to the community as a church? Well, a genuine church is to be committed. Committed to those on the inside, building and sharing in a common life together, encouraging each other, sharpening each other, blessing each other, encouraging us to keep going in our faith. But it's also commitment to those on the outside, helping them in their time of needs. I said to our young people, there'll come a day when you think, do I, is this church thing for me? Do I want to keep going to church? And I do hope and pray that it's always, yes, I do. Sadly, most people choose no. For those of us that had children and every teenager gets to that point, some say yes, but sadly, most choose not to follow church anymore. Well, just as much as they have to make that decision, so do we. Every time you wake up, are you going to be committed to this church? Every time you walk through those doors, every time you turn on the internet to watch online, every time that you do whatever you do to be part of this church, is it a commitment of being committed to those on the inside that leads to commitment on the outside? As I said, I hope you're seeing a glimpse of my heart for church. I really believe in the power of the local church. I used to say to my church in Queensland, I think people should walk into a church and feel something in a church building that they can feel nowhere else in the world. Nowhere. You can go to Centrelink and get money. You can go to Centrelink and get help. You can go to a restaurant and get some of the best food ever. But when you come to church, you should get life. People should be feeding life into each other. The life that God has breathed into us, we breathe on each other and then we breathe it out there. May God bless us. May God challenge us as a church and may God help us reach those out there who are lost. Because always remember, you too were once lost, but you are now saved. That's our message out there.